word would go forth and be understood in our hearts, that you would transform us and uh, deliver us from fear, deliver us from sin, and deliver us from bondage. Lord, we trust you and we need you very much to open the eyes of our heart. Forgive us for our sin and renew a spirit that is um, submissive to you and to your lordship every day. Amen. Today we're going to be studying Exodus chapters 35 through 40. Whoa! And uh, it's called God Completes What He Starts, or title number two, Get Her Done. Okay, Um, I'm going to start with with a dream I had last night. My wife and I listen to the um, uh, Bible every night as we go to bed. It's it's our habit, and we love it, right? It's, uh, uh, instead of arguing, we listen to the Bible. Um, Not that we argue every night, but... uh, there have certainly been some nights that we, we argue, you know, but no, we, it's, but we've gotten to the habit of just listening to Scripture and let the Lord speak to us. I know it makes us sound like we're terrible sinners, right? But we are. Um, so, but the, we let the Lord speak to us, and, and, you know, it's nothing, like, intense. We're just, like, let the Lord just speak to us, right? Last night, the Lord, uh, we were in Mark chapter 7, and uh, actually it was not chapter 7, it's chapter 8. And um, uh, there's a story that, that freaks people out sometimes. It's, it's, it's a crazy story. Jesus, there's a blind man, and Jesus says, you know, I'll heal you. And so he takes him out of town, takes him by the hand, and he leads him. And then Jesus hawks a loogie in his eyes. He spits right in his eye. And he puts his hand on it, and then he takes his hand off, and he says, do you see anything? And the guy's like, I see men, but they look like trees. They're, it's not clear. It's not, it's not done yet. Then Jesus puts his hand on him again, takes his hand off, and he's completely healed. What in the world is the point of that story? You know what our flesh does? Our flesh takes that story, and we think, okay, what does this mean? Okay, mm, that guy was really blind. So it took two miracles to get him Mm, I'm not sure that's what it means. Or, or maybe we think, well, maybe Jesus just wasn't strong enough the first time to completely heal him. Well, does that sound like the truth? No. So why would Jesus take the opportunity, and the, and the gospel writers take the opportunity to write this story down for us? What is the point for us? I'm just, I love this. Because my flesh doesn't understand it. But when the Holy Spirit teaches me, what I see here is that Jesus completes what he starts. He will always finish what he begins. And I think that's the main lesson that the Holy Spirit had to teach me as I was sitting in bed last night and I was, as I was preparing this sermon. It, Jesus completes what he starts. Now, why did I need to know that? Because I don't believe it. I get really bummed out when I see that I'm not where I should be. Anyone else get disappointed in themselves? I should be further along than I am right now. I hear stories of those ancient Christians that, that never sin, never utter an a, a unkind word, 
They always are reading their Bibles all the time. They just walk around like this. And I'm like, that's not me. I'm not even sure that's the right standard I should be using, but that's definitely not me. In fact, I am more often than not, I feel like failing. And in those times where I feel like a failure, I need to know and you need to know that Jesus did not leave you. He is going to finish what he started. And what he started in you is a miracle. You did not make yourself able to see even the little bit that you see right now. That was the beginnings of a miracle. And Jesus will complete that miracle in his own good time. He says, I'm going to do this. I'm going to complete it. Philippians 1.6 is our theme verse for today. And it says, being confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. This is very apropos because we are actually completing the book of Exodus today. How about that? Yay, I know. We started the book of Exodus March 19th, 2017. Yes. And we're going to finish it today. And I'll say, I would say that is a good work. Jesus says he's going to carry, complete every good work, right? Uh, I I may have thought this will never end, and I'm sure you did too, but 85 hours we have spent studying the book of Exodus. I know. I know we've been digging into the Word of God together. We've been learning about our redemption, because that's the one word that's, that's encapsulated all of the book of Exodus is redemption. God, God taking us from where we were to where he wanted us to be by his own power. That's redemption. I figured the rapture would come way before we finished, but it hasn't yet. And I'd like to give a shout out to our Exodus babies. These are the babies that were born during our time studying Exodus. So Elliot, Owen, Nariah, um, we have Remy and Arlo and Scarlett. Uh, we have Hunter's little sibling, not sure who that's going to be yet. Uh, Nariah, did I say? And Amaya is almost out. We'll count her. We're, we're counting Amaya, Hunter's little sister, also, or little sibling also. So we'll see. Uh, we got all those are the babies from the book of Exodus. So it's been a fruitful book, right? So today we're going to look at chapters 35 through 40. Um, which is funny because they're nearly identical to chapters 25 through 31. And uh, so our first question, we're not going to read all, these, all five of these chapters. Uh, why would God do that? Why would God put five chapters and five more chapters that are nearly identical with each other? Um, well, the only difference really is the first five chapters is how God planned it. And then the second five chapters is how it was accomplished. And this teaches us that when God plans something, it's going to happen. Things will be done on earth as they are in heaven. Right? I love it. So, what has God planned for your life? What are God's plans for your life? If God's plans in heaven always come to pass on earth, 
what has he planned for your life? Not what have you planned for your life, but what has he planned for your life? I'll give you one answer. Your sanctification. This is a big, big plan of God. 1 Thessalonians 4.3 says, This is the will of God, or plan of God, things he came up with in heaven. He says, your sanctification. This is the will of God, your sanctification. What does that mean? Sanctification is a big church word that means the process of you becoming from a dirty, rotten sinner to a Christ-like saint. The process of change, sanctification, transforming us. He says it is going to happen. You are going to be transformed if you believe in Christ. It is going to happen. So you can ride with it or you can resist it, but we know the end of the story. So why are we going to stress? Why are we going to worry when God says he will complete the work he's begun in you. Let's look at how God sets things in order through, for us uh, on our process of sanctification, how that happens. We're, we're going to see it through some verses that I'm going to highlight. I'm not going to read to you whole, uh, all these chapters, but we're just going to highlight. And if you would remember about three weeks ago, four weeks ago, Nathan started chapter 35 talking about the Sabbath. Do you guys remember that? He did an excellent job talking about it. We're just going to review and, and read that verse. So chapter 35, verse 2 is where we start. And it says, Work shall be done for six days, but on the seventh day shall be a holy day for you, a Sabbath of rest to the Lord. Whoever does any work on it shall be put to death. Nathan taught on this skillfully. Um, so all we're going to do is highlight that first, the first thing God says we have to do is stop and receive from him. Stop trying to earn anything and receive from God first. That's it. What do we do next? What do we see next? We're going to give. So first, we're going to receive. Second, we're going to give back to the Lord. Receive first, then give. It always works like that. Always. So, if we were to fast forward to chapter uh, 35, verses 4 through 9, and then verses 20 and 21, it says this. And Moses spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, This is the thing which the Lord has commanded, saying, Take from among you an offering to the Lord. Whoever is of a willing heart, let him bring it as an offering to the Lord, gold, silver, and bronze, blue, purple and scarlet thread, fine linen and goat's hair, ram skins dyed red, badger skins and acacia wood, oil for the light and spices for the anointing oil and sweet incense, onyx stones and stones that to be set in the ephod and in the breastplate. Then skip down to verse 20. And all the congregation of the children of Israel departed from the presence of Moses. Then everyone came whose heart was stirred and everyone whose spirit was willing, and they brought the Lord's offering for the work of the tabernacle of meeting, for all its service, and for all of the holy garments. Moses, all he did was let people know that God would accept their offering now, that they could give if they had a willing heart, only if they had a willing heart, 
that God would accept their offering. Moses does nothing to try to convince them to give or to coerce them to give. Have you ever seen someone try to convince you to give? Where have you seen that at? Church, which is so stupid. God does not want you to give if it's not with a willing heart. He does not want you to give if someone tried to convince you to give or to coerce you to give. God is not broke. Pastors say, the work of God depends on your faithfulness and generosity. Leave that church as soon as you hear that because it is a lie. It is a lie. God has the cattle on a thousand hills. He does not need your money. But he invites you to be a part of his kingdom building, of his, of his tabernacle work, of the work he's doing in this world. He does invite you. But what did they need to do first? What was number one? Rest. Receive all that Jesus... Spend a whole day receiving what Jesus has done for us. Oh, so good. I just thank you for doing all for me, God. Only then will your affection of giving, your affection of love, be drawn out of you by the the good work of Jesus. Then giving can happen. Only then once we've put our hearts in the right place of receiving from Jesus. Jesus, I don't need, you don't need my gifts. But Lord, I'm so moved by how much you love me. By how much you have done for me. By how much you have sacrificed for me all of my possessions. I give back to you. Whatever you need, I give back to you. Notice that order. You're to delight in God first and rest in him. Then you may give out of a free heart. Never out of obligation or legal duty. There is no command in the New Testament to tithe. You're like, this is the weirdest church ever. There is no command in the New Testament to tithe. So how are we supposed to do everything? a great question. We live off of the faithfulness of God. Tithing is a great principle and it is good in every sense of the word unless it has become a law. The moment it becomes a rule that you have to give 10%, it ceases all of its good work that it could do for God's kingdom and it has now become a work that you do to try to measure up to God's standard, which Jesus already met for you on your behalf. So is tithing good? It can be. It can be. But it, just because you tithe does not mean you're right with God. Just because you tithe does not mean God is overlooking your sins. Just because you tithe doesn't mean that. So, can you give? Absolutely, you can give. How much should you give? Don't ask me. Ask how much you can be happy with giving. How much did Jesus give you? Think about that for a whole day and then give whatever is really in your heart.
whatever it is. I can't tell you what that is. For the widow, how much was it? When Jesus was telling the story of the widow and her might, there was guys tossing in all this gold, right? And the widow gave just her tiny little mite. And Jesus says, y'all don't understand nothing. She gave more than everybody. And she gave it with a willing heart, a heart that was moved by God's grace. These, in other words, God says, I don't want your money unless it, it's surrounded by your heart unless it's with affections, real affection of love and thankfulness must accompany our gifts. They have to. It's got to be spontaneous. It can never be a result of external pressure, but it must rise from our heart. So many millions of people around this world have been hurt by pastors and churches who do not remember this thing, this one truth. Raising money is not our job. That is not the job of a pastor. But how many pastors' conferences have I heard and, peop- and, pa- and things on the internet and on how to get your people to give faithfully? Complete waste of time. Does not work. Where God guides, he provides. In, in Costa Rica, so what you saw about what we're doing in, what, what they're doing in Haiti at this mission, well, we're going to partner with them. We want to establish a similar thing in Costa Rica. And as we've been talking to the Costa Rican pastors and the Costa Rican missionaries, just making calls and just writing emails, we've heard one common thread, and that is the people in Costa Rica have had many, many, many churches and pastors come, and the people in Costa Rica basically hate them because they always are interested in one thing, and that is money. Money. So, there's a huge need for ministry down there, and a huge need for a ministry that never steals from the people, and that never makes people feel like they need to supply the needs of this ministry, because they don't. God takes that upon him. How does this work? Moses simply announced that God was willing to receive it, right? And so the, pe- the people end up, I'll give you a sneak peek at the end of the story, they give way more than what was needed. They give more gold and more silver than what was needed because God moved in their hearts. And churches forget that and pastors forget that. The church is never responsible to obtain the means to do ministry. Never. It can't be responsible for that. We are to ask God alone. And if God is really in it, he will lay it on the hearts of the people to give. That's how you determine if God's in it or not. We're going to build this building now. Everybody give. In our church, we've been doing this. We're not perfect, but we have a food bank. Right, Perry? Perry is in charge of our food bank. Very faithfully. We love him so much. And we have never asked anyone but God for the resources. We have made it available to you guys. But we've never said, if you want to change the world, if you want to be, we've, we've made it available, 
but God has put it on your hearts to supply the food bank. Perry, have we ever not had food to give to someone? Someone that came, that God brought? Have we ever been empty? And... No. God has provided... Yeah. God has provided all that we've ever needed for that ministry, right? So, all glory goes to who? Perry. No, just kidding. God, right? <laughs> right. For in missions, okay? We, we're doing this mission trip. Uh, we're doing other missions things. And we never want to be people who say, you guys need to do this. And God's work won't happen unless you dig deep and give us your money. Okay? We're not going to do that. We're going to make it available to you. Let us let you know what we're doing. And then if God puts it on your heart, go on the website and click on missions and give right there. You have a pastor. I, if God didn't want me here, he wouldn't have provided, but God has moved in your hearts, in the hearts of the people who come here to pay my salary. It allowed me to work here. It's very, I'm very blessed. It shows God's faithfulness, God's ability, not ours. So first, we see we rest on the Sabbath. Second, we see resting in God's faithfulness in his work and, and then giving freely from our hearts. And then third, we're going to see um, that then we can serve God. The third thing we do is serve God. Wait, wait, but, but, but you know what a lot of people say? Maybe even some churches? If you want to start growing in your sanctification, get involved with serving. Get involved with serving first. But I do not see that as biblical. We're supposed to rest in God. Then you can start giving out of your affections are drawn out to God, saying, God, I really love you. Then serving is a possibility. It always has to flow that way because it always, work for God always has to follow relationship with God. You guys remember Mary and Martha? Remember their whole problem? Mary's sitting at the feet of Jesus. Oh, I love you. And Martha's doing all the dishes. And Martha says, Jesus, make her work. And Jesus is like, no. Mary's picked the good thing. Resting with me is more important than doing the work. But the work still needs to be done. So I'm not giving you permission to never work and serve God. I'm saying this is the order things have to go in. Rest in God. Let your affections be drawn out. And then you can serve God. Let's look at chapter 35, verse 30. This is what happens. Moses said to the children of Israel, See, the Lord has called by name uh, Bezalel, the son of Uri, and the son of Hur of the tribe of Judah. And he has filled him with the spirit of God and wisdom and understanding and knowledge and all manner of workmanship to design artistic works, to work in gold and silver and bronze in cutting jewels for setting, in carving wood, and to work in all manner of artistic workmanship. Notice the word work a lot in there. He has put it in his heart, the ability to teach in him, the, and Aholiab, the son of Asimach, of the tribe of Dan. He has filled them with skill to do all the manner of work of the engraver and, to do, and the designer and tapestry maker in blue, purple, and scarlet thread and fine linen and of the weaver and those who do every work 
and those who design artistic works. So what do we see there? God made the work work. He made it happen. Who taught them to be good artists and good workers and good artisans? God did. But what happened first in this chapter? Resting in God, letting your affections be drawn out to God through giving. That's how it starts. Then God makes the work happen. God was behind the success. If these guys would have stepped out to start making all of the stuff before the Sabbath and before the giving, they would have had no rest and no understanding of why they were doing what they were doing. They would have had no resources to do what they were doing, and they would have had no heart taught by God to do the things they were supposed to do. See the horrible danger of serving God before, out of order, before you rest in him and learn to wait upon him? And how lovely is God to teach us these things? He's so good. See, God never takes the shortcut in our relationship with him. He never lets us take the shortcut. Oh, I got saved yesterday. When do I plant my church? Oh, you know, this. It, whatever we think God is putting on our heart, I bet it is in your heart. I bet God, God does want to do those things that he's put on your heart. But God is not in a hurry because relationships do not form fast, right? <laughs> Exodus 36, verses 5 through 7. They spoke to Moses saying, the people bring much more than enough for the service of the work which God has commanded us to do. So Moses gave a commandment and they caused it to be proclaimed throughout the camp saying, neither let man nor woman do any more work for the offering of the sanctuary. So the people were restrained from bringing for the material they had was sufficient for all the work to be done. Indeed, too much. When God gets behind something, it gets done. When God starts something, he finishes it, right? Chapter 39, go forward four chapters. We're going to the end now. Verse 43, those chapters are filled with all the completion, all the, the things that we've studied, all the things that, that uh, speak of the sanctuary, uh, which all represent Jesus and the work Jesus does on this earth and in our lives. Okay, all of that is built. And then verse 43, then Moses looked over all the work and indeed, they had uh, done it as the Lord had commanded, just so they had done it, and Moses blessed them. Here we see the serving God always makes us remember that Jesus is the one who will judge our works. Who does Moses represent in all our stories? Jesus, right? So here we have Moses seeing all the work that was done, and he's like, yeah, we got it done and he blessed them. Jesus, at the end of time, will look at our lives and look at all the work, and he will say, yes, we got it done, and he will bless us. He sourced the work, Jesus did. He inspires the work. He commands it, then he rewards us for doing it. What an amazing God that he would source it, inspire it, then command us to do it, and then actually reward us for doing just what we were supposed to do, what he had told us to do. This is just crazy. Let's look at the last 
four verses of the book, chapter 40, verse 34. Then the cloud covered the tabernacle of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tabernacle of meeting because the cloud rested above it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Whenever the cloud was taken up from above the tabernacle, the children of Israel would go onward in all their journeys. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they would not journey till the day that it was taken up. So in other words, they would follow this cloud. They were in the desert for the next 40 years, and God led them by this cloud. So when the cloud was over them, they were nice and cool because it's the desert. So the cloud was cooling them. The cloud moves over here. Guess where the people are going to go? They're just going to follow the cloud, right? So God made them, he taught them, you stay with me. If you don't stay with me, you're going to die in the heat and the dryness. Stay with me. It's all part of that. For the cloud of the Lord was above the tabernacle by day, and its fire was over it by night. So this cloud full of lightning and fire over the night brought them light during the night. Pretty cool. So they would stay, obviously, close to that. In the sight of all the house of Israel, throughout all their journeyings. The tabernacle is now complete. And God has provided for himself a place to dwell with his people. A place that is holy and a place that is worthy of his great glory. This tabernacle. And we have spent 84 weeks, the last half of that, studying this tabernacle in all of its detail because it's important. Because God's glory is worthy of our study. And as we've studied it, we've seen one big, big thing. And that is that every single part of the tabernacle pointed to who? Jesus. Every part. The sockets and the boards and the covers and the skins and the lamp and the table and the incense and the the, uh, uh, Ark of the Covenant and the angels and mercy seat and the blood and all the stuff. We spent weeks on every single one of those things. And now it's complete. And God says, with this in place, the work of Jesus, the life of Jesus in place, I can be with you. I can be with you. You can be with me. I can be your God and you can be my people. Which is actually the whole point. He loves you, wants to be with you. And he's taking care of the major problems that were were keeping that fellowship from happening, our sin. That's why so much of the tabernacle was devoted to washing away sin and making that a reality. So what we've seen is that that tabernacle is not here anymore. Anyone seen the tabernacle recently? It's, it's not in the desert. The temple is gone. The tabernacle was completed in the new covenant. And the tabernacle is all symbolic today of you and your heart. Because where does God dwell or tabernacle now? In our hearts. It's amazing. He, God has figured out a way he figured out a way to make a tabernacle so he could be with people, which was crazy because people were, these people were sinners. 
and God is holy. And those don't go together, but God made it work. By faith and by the work of the mediator, he made it work. Now he's brought that whole plan into complete fruition in our lives, in our hearts. And now you can take, as you, as you go back through the book of Exodus and you read all these things, you can take everything that you saw, every part of the tabernacle, and you can say, what does this symbolize? It symbolizes something in my heart. Something. Like, let's say, the Ten Commandments. Moses took those Ten Commandments and he put it in the Ark of the Covenant, which is in the tabernacle. Just like in our lives, God takes the Ten Commandments and he writes them on our hearts. See, the new covenant takes the whole tabernacle and it puts it in us. The realities are all in our hearts. Our hearts contain what everything in the book of Exodus represents by type. Does that make sense? So, was it valuable to study all of these types? Absolutely. But not if we don't not if we don't understand that it's, it's about our hearts. It's about our relationship with him. It's about the new covenant that he's brought, the new tabernacle that he's created, which is our hearts for him to dwell in. We get to experience everything that the book of Exodus foreshadowed. It's a reality for us. Praise Jesus. So what do we learn from the book of Exodus our theme verse of the day is Philippians 1.6, being confident in this very thing, he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. In the end, no matter how much sin and failure God is confronted with, his grace overcame it all. How many wrong things did the children of Israel do in this book? If we had a scale of wrong things that they did and right things that they did, which one would be more? Right. It's a good thing God doesn't work by scales, huh? But how many people do we talk to out on the streets? Hey, what's going to happen when you die? Oh, well, God's going to measure my good deeds and my bad deeds. And they, that's a lie. It's a lie. Right? God's grace wiped out their bad deeds through the work of who? The mediator, Moses, who represents Jesus. Exactly. Sin was a huge problem, but grace was a bigger solution. Sin is destructive and vile, but grace is more than able to fix it. This is very important to us, for us to grasp and to deeply understand today because I've had tough conversations with many of you and many others throughout the years, and, and we've shared our failures with each other. We've grieved over our own sin, broken by our mistakes, worried about forgiveness. Man, am I forgiven? Upset and concerned that we've failed God for the last time. That we've finally gone too far. That we've proved beyond a shadow of a doubt that we're not really saved. We're not really children of God because no true Christian could possibly do such awful things as I do. No Christian could be this lustful, this selfish, this arrogant, this bad, this fill-in-the-blank with whatever you curse yourself for in the mirror. Whatever you, whatever's your thing. 
In this book of Exodus, we've seen that God has done all that he wanted to do with these people. The plan that he made was accomplished. In spite of them, this church will call these people a church. This church was not good enough for God. They didn't have enough desire. They didn't have enough resource. They did not, they were not good enough. They didn't even want it all the time. And God still, in spite of their weakness, accomplished his purpose and plan and will. He sanctifies them. He does it. His plan was accomplished. Even though they failed every step of the way, his work and will was made a reality by the mediator, Moses. I want you to remember that. Every time you think of the book of Exodus, you're like, Moses, dude, that guy, he put up with so much weakness and sinfulness. And every time God's like, you want me to kill him and make a nation out of you? What did Moses, our blessed mediator, say? No, I'd rather go to hell than kill them. Then you punish them for their brokenness and weakness. I would rather be condemned than for you to, to leave them and reject them. Reject me first. And that is the most beautiful foreshadow of what Jesus Christ does for us. He says, I would rather suffer the punishment of God, the eternal fire of hell, than for you to be condemned. How glorious. Why aren't we all saying amen and praising God? Amen. Right? Our mediator, so good. He, create, he does a work, he accomplishes a work that we call redemption. Where God redeems his own people through the blood of a lamb. That's all seen in this book. God made himself a completely new kind of people. By the end of the book of Exodus, these people are resting in God. They're giving to God from pure hearts. And they're serving God. The same people that were dancing naked around a calf committing idolatry like a week earlier. The same people. And I am just blown away at God's power. He could take a blind man and heal him. He can take a wicked person and deliver them and redeem them. That's what we see. They, these people know more about God at this moment in history than anyone else in the world. They actually know God. They see his presence and his glory. No one else on earth knows anything about God at this point in time. Nobody. And in this short amount of time, God has made himself a people that know him. Unbelievable. This is the work of God and it's wonderful. It is his greatest feat that he ever accomplishes is transforming people who don't know him into people who do. Taking a rebellious nation of slaves and transforming them into 
by his own power, his own faithfulness, his own love into his very own people. And the mediator is the one who God was pleased to use to get all of this done. All of this is a foreshadow, of course, of the perfect Lamb of God, our mediator, Jesus, who picks us up in our failure and sin. He washes us off, and then he delivers us to his Father as people who truly know God and glorify him today. That's you. That's you. But I don't glorify God in my actions today. You could say that. If you trust and believe in Christ and abide in him, you do and will glorify God. That's the reality. The reality that when someone trusts in Jesus and puts their hope in him alone, it does something on the inside. It like stuffs you with green ooze. Go with me here. And as you just keep believing that, that Jesus loves you and, and that he's done everything, he's sufficient, as you walk around, you start to ooze out what he has put inside you. It's weird, I know, but it just came to me. Probably from the Holy Spirit. <laughs> just messing. Okay. It, it'll be like a fruit coming out of a branch. We've got to wait and trust him that his sanctification will happen. But right now I just see things like big trees walking around. I don't see things the way I should. I'm not, the, I'm not as holy as I should be. I'm not done yet. God, would you hurry up? She's like, I'll get there. It's my timetable. Your job is to stay with me. What if the blind guy in Mark 8 would have been like, you stink at healing. I'm out of here. Right? He would have walked right into a tree, thought he was kissing his wife, pine sap everywhere. It's gross. He would have been a failure. But what do we see in this world? So many people. I came to Jesus, and then, and then but I didn't, it didn't work, and I, I'm still such a sinner. Don't leave. Abide. That's the key. Stick to him. Cling to him every moment. Run to him. Every time you fail, don't let the devil trick you into running from Jesus. Run to Jesus. But you don't know what I did last night. It was vile. It was sinful. God does not want me with him. Oh, so you're, you know truth now. You think that's the truth, that God doesn't want you with him. It's not true. It's not what the Bible says. The Bible says, come to me, sinners. The Bible says Jesus liked to eat with sinners. He liked to hang out with them. And he likes to transform them. But he can't do anything with you if you run from him. Run to him. God does not want to break from you. God is not angry at you. He already got angry at Jesus for you. And so God's thoughts towards you are peace and love. He says, I love you. Come back to me. I know you're an idiot. 
I still love you, and I will transform you. Run to your mediator. Run to your Savior and your advocate. Run to your Messiah. Run to Jesus. Every moment of the day, cling to him. The end of Exodus right here, it reminds me of the end of the Bible. In fact, um, it's another foreshadow of the completion of Jesus' work. At the end of the Bible, in Revelation chapter 21, it says this, Then I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. Does that remind you of anything? It's like the whole book of Exodus. And he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be with them and will be their God. I thought that was in Exodus. Wasn't that a reality in Exodus? God's like, no, that was not the reality. When you see the reality, it is going to blow your ever-loving mind. Because here's the reality, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain for the former things have passed away. He says, I has not seen what God has prepared for those who love him. But we do know that a loving relationship with God through his beloved tabernacle, Jesus, is what will fix everything that is broken. That's what I see in the end of Exodus. You connect it with Revelation, and you say, this tabernacle was God's plan to fix your life. To fix what's broken in your life. To fix the abuse. To fix the hatefulness. To fix the damage and the pain. Everything is fixed when Christ finishes his work. Which will happen. You're like, but I feel the pain right now. But I, I, I suffer the consequences of the abuse and the hurt and the pain. And God's like, I know. I'm going to take care of it. I will always deliver you because I am your tabernacle. You're my tabernacle and I'm going to be with you. And I will wipe every tear and I will truly fix it. I don't know how God is going to fix the pain that we have gone through. I have no idea. But God makes us this promise. All those things will pass away. All that is wrong will be made right. All that is broken will be fixed by his love. I am my beloved's and my beloved's is mine. That is what we hang on to. Relationship with Christ is the only thing that fixes everything. Even though I've been the worst sinner, he has made me a saint through his love, through his blood. Even though I have failed, he has mediated for all my needs and he will be my forever hero, my God, and he will redeem me. That sounds really good, Pastor. But I just don't know what to do. I don't know what you all want from me. I mean, this is Denver, 2019. What in the world are we supposed to do with this today? Listen. All men on this planet have been invited to join God's family. We lost that divine life when we sinned 
But God, in his perfect grace, has paid the price for that our sin earned. This sentence that we deserved has been carried out on Jesus. God became a man and allowed us to torture and murder him on the cross. Jesus allowed the Father in heaven to pour out his wrath as well. And so the worst event that has ever occurred on this earth, the crucifixion of Christ, has become the very thing that God uses to save the whole planet. For if God has punished Jesus for your sin, then he can also freely forgive you today. I don't want anything from you. I just want you to clearly understand that you can be forgiven from all your sins. It's all or nothing. God will either forgive you through the blood of Jesus or we will face our own judgment when we stand before him on our own without Christ. There is nothing else. Those are the only two plans. When you ask Jesus to forgive you, he does. Then you become one of his sheep, one of his family, and our job is to just listen to our shepherd and follow him, follow his voice. Listen to the Holy Spirit through the Bible. Read it. He will lead and guide you. He will heal and use you. That's the book of Exodus. Would you guys all stand with me? If anyone would like to ask Jesus to be their Savior and, and choose to follow him today, it's a great day to do that. Maybe you pray a prayer like this, Jesus, I am such a sinner but I believe that you died on the cross for my sin and I ask you to forgive me. I want to follow you all the days of my life. Amen. It's very simple, but that prayer brings life. That's the beginning of that blind man being healed. Now the rest of your life, you'll see people like trees maybe but God will complete what he started this moment. Amen? Father, we give you all praise, glory, and honor. We worship you for sending a mediator to to be all that we need to go between us and you. And Jesus, we know that you sit in heaven. You stand in heaven right now pleading and mediating for us. You give us all uh, that we could ever want or need through your faithfulness, Jesus. And we put our hope in you. But Lord, we also have a week this week that's going to be crazy and we're going to, we're going to face many challenges. And I pray, Jesus, that you would teach us to, or that you would miraculously open our eyes to see your life, your, the way you see things. We don't want to see inaccurately. We want to hear your voice. We want to see with your eyes. We want to be your hands and feet in this world, filled with love and filled with good works, Father. Our whole life we want to be yours. We cannot hold back control. We can't hold back anything from you, Jesus. We must fully surrender to you. 
So Jesus, I ask that every single heart that's in this room would be committed to your kingdom this week. That we wouldn't see people as a problem or as an inconvenience in our lives. Nobody. But we would see people as made in your image, someone who you desperately love, even though they're cutting us off or they're treating us poorly today. God, I pray that you would give us hearts that see things like you. And Lord, help us to know that when we have hate, For other people, when we're frustrated, we are not seeing except as trees when we should see people. Forgive us, Lord. But again, we can't transform ourselves. We need you to miraculously open our eyes, Jesus. We need you. I pray that the only thing on our lips this week this week, that we would have lips seasoned with salt and always full of light, telling people what you think of them, showing people what you think of them by how we treat them. I pray we would treat them as you would treat them. We would listen to their hurts. We would lovingly care for all of our enemies, Lord. Forgive us for being so isolated. Give us one person, Jesus, this week that we see the way you see. Maybe it's our own spouse. Maybe it's one of our family. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's the kid on the street. No matter how much they sin, Father, teach us to see like you see. Open us by your Spirit. Father, we want to see fruit. We want to see people coming to know you. But we have to be people who rest in you and who give our lives and all that we have for you and your kingdom. We want to be used to serve you. Thank you so much for the gifts that you have given to every single person here. And I pray that they be used for your glory this week. pray that we know your peace that we would be able to rest and trust in your completed work, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's sing to the Lord.